Hello, everyone. Welcome back again to another exciting episode from the CX Huddle uh, on our series of CX Careers. My name is Daniel, and I'm here with my friend and co-host, Dolores Cooper. And along with us today, joined is uh, Alana Collins. Uh, Alana, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to finally get you going. Um, I know that like you've you've had quite an adventurous time this summer. I know between like getting a house and then like starting up a new career, like we've had to like anxiously wait for you to get a little bit more comfortable in your new role, but we're so excited to have you on today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here and to talk through it all with you. Yeah. So what is your new role? What's your new title? And like, what do you, what's a little bit about what you do? So I am a senior customer success associate for a company called Voltus, which is a distributed energy resource provider. Um, It's uh, complicated, but to sum it up, we're sort of like a virtual power grid where we work with companies to create an aggregated resource pool that we can Uh, call upon to curtail certain elements of their machinery or any of their processes to make room on the power grid. So it's sort of an ecotech company, kind of a shift from where I was before, but um, I am part of a two-person support team right now, servicing primarily uh, internal stakeholders. So just other Voltans is what they're called. I love that. Um, Alana, I think taking a step back, one of the most interesting things uh, for me to have heard about your story is, is sort of how you landed at Voltis. Um, the process of, I think, um, interviewing just for practice, you know, and then having this opportunity sort of present itself to you. So can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, how you sort of embarked on on that that journey or this journey? Yeah, absolutely. So I was um, relatively happy with my role at Zendesk. I wasn't really trying to imminently seek to leave, but um, I had the VP of operations at Voltus reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I try to always just be open to experiences, opportunities to people. Um, And this was kind of another instance of that. And I had not interviewed since I had gotten the role at Zendesk, which um, had been about two years prior. And um, for context for the listeners, I'm I'm 26. So um, I hadn't really been working in a, a corporate career or a software career for very long. And I was worried that I was going to lose my interview skills. So I saw this as an opportunity not only to interview and to try and hone that skill, but to also just be open to whatever the opportunity may be. And it ended up being something that I chose to go with. But um, I really just took it as an opportunity to be 100% authentic, uh, which I don't know if I'd done before in an interview, um, because I had the stability and the security of Zendesk and all the other times in my life when I'd been interviewing, I needed a job. It wasn't like um, I had a fallback or anything largely due to my age and just coming out of college. So this was a chance for me to kind of test the waters and to just really be 100% myself. And the reaction that I got from the interviewers and just from everybody at Voltus was so positive and welcoming that it's one of the main reasons that I chose to, to take the role. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. So like, I guess 
you kind of already said one thing like where you're talking about being like truly authentic or like there any other like things that you did during that interview process that you might want to uh maybe work on more or like some things that you think like you feel really proud of yourself for that you would want other listeners to to hear about or focus on because you know people that are coming out of college and stuff like that that might be a little bit younger that might not have a lot of that experience i think the way that you did it was great and look at how it ended up working out for you but like do you have any other like tips or advice for people listening that are might be going through that process sure yeah so i think um i was almost too open um, and just kind of casual with the interviews initially, if I could go back and do something different, I would have researched distributed energy resources um, before more because really I was just showing up wanting to interview and learn about the company from them. But I think I could have shown up with more knowledge of the industry before the interview. Um, and obviously it didn't keep me from getting the job because anybody who works there knows that this is an incredibly niche and complex subject, but there were some basics that I feel like I could have known. And once I was in the role, I realized how easy some of those resources are to come by. Some of them are even on Wolfus's website. So I think I would have taken the time to maybe research that more, um, and not be so, um, I guess, casual initially. I think it could have been more structured. But one thing I am sort of proud of myself for in the process is that initially I was given an offer that I actually rejected. And I was very polite um, and grateful for their time and for, again, the interview practice and the opportunity. But in doing that, I actually got a counter offer and it was for significantly more than the original offer. And it made me feel like they really wanted to have me help them build out their support team. And they, at the same time, retitled the role to a senior position just to kind of encapsulate the experience that I think over the course of the interview process, they realized I was bringing to the table. So I felt good to like advocate for myself because in the past I would have just kind of probably taken what I could get and have been grateful for that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But as I've matured in my career, I really want to advocate for myself and what I think the skills that come from a CS experience are worth. And I think they're very well-rounded and applicable to a lot of things. And so did they in the end. So sometimes you just have to speak up for yourself. Um, so yeah something I would have done different plus something I feel like, you know, I did well and that served me in the end. Yeah. And that's like really great. Like I always should advocate for yourself, but that's also great that, you know, they saw the value in who, what you're bringing to the table and they were able to make adjustments. So it's not necessarily like a pressure thing is more of a, just a, you know, you knew your value. They then saw the value after further conversations and then made adjustments when, when necessary. So that's awesome. Yeah. But Going back real quick to something, it's one of my favorite questions. I'm sure that as you've been talking about, you know, some of the podcasts that you've been listening to, we get to the question about education. And, um, you know, I know you and I technically worked at the same place prior to, uh, well, actually, we've worked at a few different jobs now together. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, education is like really important to some people. Some people are kind of just like, you know what, I can do other things in life and not have to get an education. But we're, we're seeing that there's that stigma around education and and tech, and you know, you don't have to be in a tech role to or have to have a tech education to be in a tech role. Can you talk a little bit about maybe your education and you know how you got to where you are today, and um, 
what that looked like? Sure. So I won't give you the life story like kindergarten on, but uh, in, for college, I went to Edgewood College, which is a private uh, liberal arts school in Madison. And I studied political science and philosophy, which uh, I know they say you don't have to study tech to get into tech. But usually when I mention this to people, those are two fields that are so far outside of tech that it's usually surprising um, that I meandered my way in here. And the way that I did it was actually about halfway through college, all of my scholarships were four-year dependent, which meant that if I wanted to get the money to pay for school, I needed to finish my degrees in the standard or traditional four years. So that didn't mean that you could, uh, you know, be a sophomore and then major hop, no way. So I got about halfway through college, realized I didn't really want to do political science like for a job. I did a couple internships, ran a couple campaigns, and it just wasn't for me. And so I started truthfully panicking, trying to figure out like, what can I do how can I branch out from this? And I had a friend who worked for the Do It Help Desk, which for the listeners is UW-Madison's student-run help desk, where students and faculty call for uh, tech support and for uh, like software and platform support. And he was like, you know, you'd like to talk. <laughs> you are a people person. You know, why don't you interview and I ended up getting a role there. And it became clear to me at that time that work experience mattered almost more than the degree that I was seeking. Like it mattered that I got a bachelor degree, but it didn't matter as much what it was in. It mattered for what I was trying to do to have a combination of a bachelor degree and work experience in the field that I was trying to get into. So the help desk really allowed me to get this hands-on experience with support that allowed me to then transition into more tech roles in the future, eventually doing a project for UW-Madison and then eventually working at Zendesk. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, if I had not had the cognizance to pivot as a sophomore to a tangible career that would give me work experience with years racking up, um, I was going to be kind of in a pickle when I graduated, just if I didn't want to do poli sci, if that makes sense. So moving to the help desk was really the catalyst for my entire uh, career in tech at all, I think. Awesome. Thanks, Alana. That's great. Um, I, I want to go back to something that you said earlier, though, um, because I think it's incredibly powerful, especially for, for people listening. Um, the fact that you declined an offer because you you sort of saw I mean and sort of you did see your own value the worth and the the experience that you would bring um completely like taking a risk not knowing if they were going to counter um fortunately they did but um I think that's something that a lot of people sort of struggle with because they're not um willing to take that risk um but it's so important right it's so important to see your value, acknowledge your worth, and then stand firm in that um, and get what you deserve. So kudos to that and just sharing that that sort of that nugget of knowledge with our listeners. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was the first time I ever did it, but I got the sincere impression from these people at Voltis that they know value when they see it and they aren't just looking for 
any random person. They were really looking for someone with a particular set of skills. And in our conversations, once I realized that I had those, it didn't seem right to shortchange myself. Right, for sure. Yeah. Um, so sort of switching gears a little bit, um, you mentioned that one of your responsibilities in your current role is to build up that team. Can you tell us sort of like how long has it taken to get up to speed in this role? Like what things are you considering to build out the team? Yeah, so, so far we've been focused on supporting the internal folks who work there. So for context, Boltus has about 175 employees and the company just turned five. So prior to my manager um, joining about four months ago, there was no support team for internal or external. So our first, I guess, big task has been to figure out how to aggregate the knowledge from all of the disseminated teams and then determine how we can best support them, whether that's building out tooling, building out forms to use in Zentesk, um, building out resources in the help center. Um, But we've really been going department by department. So first we tackled engineering and how they wanted to triage their requests through GitHub. Then we went to the energy markets team and discussed how they want to triage their requests just generally through Zendesk support. Um, But it's really been about not only learning about the industry, but learning about cross-functionally every department at Voltus, how they work with each other, and how we can best support them in that endeavor to work with one another. So... I would say I didn't feel, I mean, I'm in my eighth week now and I didn't feel fully like ramped in my knowledge of each of the teams until probably a couple weeks ago, um, which I I mean, I feel okay about because it's a pretty uh, complicated uh, subject and there's departments that are unlike what you'd find at a typical company. It's not like, you know, your cookie cutter, just HR or sales um, and then maybe support plus the C-suite, there's all these kind of niche departments as well. So that's been a really interesting learning process. And that's kind of what we've been trying to tackle at first. And we've gotten through three departments and there's a few more to go, but we're kind of tackling them by size and kind of moving out from there. Does that answer the question? Yeah, for me it does. Absolutely. Okay, great. (laughs) So with that kind of in mind, what would you say is like the, um, building this out? I mean, it's probably not like the easiest thing you could ever do in life. Right. But like, I guess what is, what's one of the life skills or one of the skills that you've used that probably has helped with this process? Like there's nothing that's going to make it ever like completely easy, but what's maybe something that's like helped with it. Like, is it like, have you found taking notes a lot easier? Do you think like having a bunch of zoom meetings and like meeting people where they're at is helpful or like, what's one of the ways that you've kind of made yourself comfortable within that eighth week? Or, I mean, it was about a few weeks ago when you said you got more comfortable with it, but like, how did you, what did you do to get to that point? Yeah. So I set up and just an absurd amount of interviews. I tried to talk to every person I possibly could at this company. Uh, And that would be advice I'd give to anybody going into a fully remote role um, and an industry that maybe they're not familiar with is just, If they're willing to talk to you, talk to them. 
And it started with me just kind of going through the directory of the company, seeing who was in managerial roles, reaching out to them, introducing myself, and then also just asking the simple question of how can I support you? And if you come to somebody open and willing to help them, they are nine times out of 10 going to be open to you in response. So not only was I getting to meet people at the company, I was able to learn about how to build my role, because that's really what I've been doing, building it from the ground up. And so that's been kind of the most pivotal thing for me. It's just setting up time with people and really picking their brains and allowing them to, to pick mine. Um, and that's been what has helped me. So now that I've had however many of these conversations, that's really been the driving force for me to feel comfortable and I think settled in my understanding of the industry and of my role at the company. So that's really cool that you like, so like you're working from home, obviously you just mentioned something like that, but like uh, with working from home, what has it been like to ensure like you have that work-life balance? Um, because when you're starting at a new company, you're starting in a new role. I'm sure it's probably easy to feel overwhelmed sometimes. And like, are you able to like kind of take some time away or do you find yourself like wanting to work like longer because like you're trying to learn so much more? Like how, how are you building that work-life balance? Especially so, being remote. <laughs> yeah. So it is, I mean, I think anybody who's remote understands having your house be your job. So one thing I've done is I don't like hang out in my office when it's not time to work. Um, that helps me kind of make that separation. In terms of how to keep myself from working super late, uh, I'm fortunate enough that I have a manager who feels really strongly about work-life balance. And I actually was working late a couple of nights and he could see that I was online on Slack and he messaged me and asked me to stop working. And I know not everybody has that kind of um, manager. He's a lovely person. Um, but I would say try and be that person for yourself. And now I don't hear his voice in my head when it's time to be done working. I hear my own and I just hear, you know, okay, you've done eight hours of work today. You should be proud of yourself. That's completely reasonable and acceptable. Now go live the rest of your life. And so I think because I'm just more junior as a career person, I think I needed someone to professionally nudge me that way and say, hey, you know, you don't need to work late. But now I'm really trying to be that advocate to myself and just recognize that there's there's no like prize for working super late. There's no goal that I'm trying to achieve other than to be a healthy, happy employee for this company. And overextending myself is not going to get me to that place. So that's been kind of how I've been trying to self-regulate, but it's hard, you know, especially when you feel like you're underwater and you need to learn about this, this subject, but just being patient with yourself and, um, communicating clearly with the leaders that you have about your needs, I think is really all anybody could do. Uh, and then just, again, just try to be your own advocate is what I've been going for. For sure. I'm a big fan of uh, to-do lists. So it's been very helpful for me to like write down the things that I have to do for the day or for the week and like be able to see them. And then when I do hit eight or nine hours for a day, really looking at them and saying, okay, like 
can this wait till tomorrow or can this wait till Monday? Um, especially with the whole new work from home setting. Like it's easier to be able to leave the office and turn off, but when the office is six feet away, it's kind of, it's really, it's much more difficult to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, I have a checklist I make every Monday. I sit down, I look at every meeting I have, then I build out my project breaks for when I'm working on things that I'm not on calls. And then I make a checklist so that at the end of the week, I have this satisfying feeling of going through all the check boxes, seeing all the strike throughs, but even on a day-to-day basis, it makes me feel like I know what I did that day. So I'm yeah. not sitting there at the end of the day, like, did I do enough? Like, no, I, I tracked what I did. Yeah, exactly. We were talking about Jason Hurd's uh, episode from, from earlier in the month. And that's your quick win. Like just being able to have that satisfaction crossing something off or looking back on a Thursday, looking at all the things you've done, um, that, that can be your win. Absolutely. So um, specifically, this question specifically for, for uh, listeners who are potentially trying to switch roles or, it, or uh, industries or whatever, since you are building out your team, um, specifically, like what recommendations would you have for those people that are looking to get into a role similar to yours or a role similar to the one that you're hiring for? I would say above all, do not undersell your soft skills. That is really what got me this role. Yes, they cared that I knew about Zendesk. Yes, they were interested in me being um, in sort of an admin of their instance. But what they really were looking for is someone who knows how to connect with people and quickly. And I think that that is a skill that a lot, a lot of people have. Um, And it's something that's not often seen as like a true professional skill unless you're in sales. But I think that that is a skill that goes above and beyond and can serve you in any role that involves other human beings, which is most roles. And so um, what I really harped on in my interview with them was just explaining how quickly I needed to build rapport and relationships with our clients at Zendesk and how I needed to gain their trust. And being able to do that in any circumstance I think is valuable to whoever is looking to hire you. I know that if I was looking to hire you, that is what I'm looking for. Uh, you know, do I trust you? Do I feel comfortable with you? And by extension, do I feel like the folks we're working with are going to feel comfortable with you? And I feel like the niche knowledge of this industry can be learned in time, just like it had to be learned by everyone else who is working here, save for the company founders and C-suite. Uh, I think. That's really the differentiating factor for me. And when I spoke with my hiring manager afterwards, that is what she shared with me too. So hopefully that answers the question. I would just say don't undersell your your people skills. That does answer the question. Um, Thank you. So same topic, but really focusing towards um, people of color, right? Like I think in previous episodes, we we spent a lot, quite a bit of time talking about you know, while um, the tech industry is making great advances to diversifying in lots of different fields or roles within the field, um, what do you think, how can we do more? Um, and we being, you know, you in your role is again, building out a team, 
um, you having experience, you know, at like a university level in a tech role um, at an international company and now in your current role, like what, what have you seen? What have you learned as it relates to getting people of color through the door and then also giving them a reason to stay? Yeah, so from the getting them through the door piece, I mean, I'm sure this has been talked about, you know, by many people, but it's really about, for me, diversifying your talent pipeline. I think there's a tendency, uh, especially in a community like ours and in Madison, to just kind of go to the, the biggest source uh, for example, for sales recruitment, you're probably going to think to yourself, oh, I'll go to the UW Madison Business School. But that happens to be an overwhelmingly Caucasian space. So maybe trying to think about spaces or institutions that are cultivating a similar skill set to what you would find from a business grad, but maybe have a far more diverse pool of graduates, uh, technical colleges, um, even just looking for roles that cultivate similar experience to what you're looking for, not always looking for this hard and fast one-to-one match of degree to role or um, I guess previous title to current title. I think expanding your mind about what a person can bring to the table because of their experiences is far better than just looking at their resume and deciding that they're not a fit because they don't check X, Y, or Z box. In terms of trying to retain brown and black talent, I think something critical is to recognize that they are not just another person who works at your company in the way that folks who are in typically the Caucasian majority are. Like brown folks are bringing something special and unique to the table and there's a way to recognize it that isn't pandering, that isn't infantilizing. There's a way to say like, I recognize that your life experiences have prepared you in a way that suits to X, Y, or Z role and to really like, I guess, uh, what's the word, celebrate that um, and to make those people feel not just welcome, but like their experience and their perspective is valued. So long-winded there. <laughs> Hopefully that uh, answers both of those for you. It absolutely does. Um, and I have another question because that's what we do here. Um, so you mentioned you're 26. What there's, there's more life to be, to be lived. So what do you want to do after this? Like if you, I mean, if you wanted to grow yourself more, what does that look like? Do you have any picture of what Alana five or 10 years from now looks like? Wow. Um, well, I think I would really like to do people management. Um, one of the main reasons I was interested in this role, uh, besides the company culture and and the compensation, was just the opportunity to, in a relatively short amount of time, be managing a a team and a small team at that. Um, That's something I've really found to be enriching for me. When I worked at the university, I actually had an assistant who I got to hire myself. And the rapport I had 
with him. Um, it sort of transcended boss and, and um, direct report. It was like true collaboration. And I think that there is a way to do that as a manager, um, at least on a small scale that I'm really interested in trying in uh, this environment. So people management, and then I would really like to get into like a director level role by the time I'm 30. I would, I would love that to be able to say like, not only am I part of this department, but I built this department with my manager uh, and to kind of be able to step back and say like, you know, now this entire infrastructure is in place and I've built something that I could walk away from that still functions. That to me is like a, a huge goal of mine is to build a support system that doesn't need me uh, and to have people who want to work with me and for me. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do for the rest of my 20s on a professional level. And on a personal level, I just really want to support my little brothers in trying to go to college. So I want to do that for them financially, um, emotionally, any way I can. Um, that's a really huge goal of mine. Um, and I want to help my parents stop working so much because <laughs> they are working themselves to the bone. And I'm sure uh, many uh, folks who are listening can relate to wanting to do both of those things. So um, yeah, that's kind of what I see for myself. Oh, and I definitely want to um, get married to, <laughs> to my partner. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a goal as well. No, definitely not underselling yourself at all. You have quite a bit on your plate. And like, if anyone wants that motivation, look to Alana because <laughs> like just so many things to do. Like, I love that you have, you, it's not just like a career goal that you have, but like you have your life goals, you have like goals and aspirations that you have for your, your brothers and stuff like that. Like, that's amazing. I love that. Um, and honestly, like what a great role model to look up to other than you, you know, for doing all the things that you're doing in life. So um Let's flip the question here and let's talk about something nerdy. Um, so what is something that like you absolutely like completely nerd out about? So not work related. Um, what just is like something where if you just wanted to be like, uh, you know, if you like Marvel movies or something like that, or uh, maybe you're like really into crocheting, I have no idea, but like what's something that Alana just nerds out about? Oh yeah, so it's definitely video games. <laughs> I play a lot of video games when I'm not working or cooking. I'm probably playing video games. Um, and I don't, I think when people hear video games, they think like Call of Duty or um, like NBA 2K, which nothing wrong with those games, but I don't really play those. Um, I'm not really competitive, so it's not super fun for me. I'm just like, ah, and then I lose immediately. I usually play these kind of story-driven or, or narrative-driven games where it's almost like you're playing through a movie, sort of. So um, I really like those, and I tend to gravitate towards ones that are like sci-fi or sort of philosophical in a way. Uh, I could go on and on about just like philosophizing about video games. And there is a community of people who are also into that. So I watch like commentary videos, listen to podcasts. Um, but yeah, that's a real 
passion of mine is just nerding out about games. And my whole family is gamers. Like some of my fondest memories and earliest memories from my childhood are sitting down to play Mario 64 with my parents, just passing the controller around every time, you know, one of us died. And so it's something that we are all into and it's like a bonding experience. And even though my brothers are significantly younger than me, we can still connect over a love of gaming and my parents too. So that's, that's really uh, my big passion. So I guess for, for our listeners that are listening right now, you didn't mention a specific game. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. Like what is a game that you're either playing right now, or like maybe if you want to say that one, or like maybe a game that you absolutely love, like, I also don't play like the standard traditional games. Like I watched my brothers play Halo when I was little, but I love playing like SimCity or like The Sims, where it was like kind of like a a city builder game or one where you could kind of like you had complete control over whatever you wanted to do and could all creativity. Like what is your favorite game? And then maybe what's the game you're playing right now? Just so so people have some context. Oh, sure. Okay. So my favorite game ever is actually The Witcher. So there's a Netflix show of The Witcher. So Season some people December. I am so excited. <laughs> some people may be familiar. Babe. The Witcher is based off of a book series that became a game that became a show. Uh, and I just devoured that game. And I'm truly not into that kind of medieval stuff normally, but um the level building, the world building, and the storytelling in The Witcher is just truly unmatched. I think a lot of people would tell you it's the greatest game of all time. Uh, and I would agree. I sunk over 300 hours <laughs> into that game. I, I was a big fan. Um, what I'm playing right now actually is Tomb Raider. I sort of missed on the Tomb Raider 3D remakes a few years ago, but I recently got an Xbox Series S. I feel very lucky to have one. And so I've been going back and playing them because they're remastered for the new console and they're super immersive. It really feels like uh, a movie that you're just sort of playing through and it's a fun escape at night. I just cook dinner, sit down and play that. And my partner actually also games, but she plays um, like cozy games like Animal Crossing or Stardew Valley, that sort of thing. So she plays on the Switch handheld and then I sit on the couch and we just love to relax that way. It's a lot of fun. I guess we will wrap it up. So Alana, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I think, you know, everything that you shared today was just so powerful from, you know, talking from about your love for your family and just really love for yourself, like trusting that, trusting your value, trusting your worth. Um, I think it's, it was all the things that I personally needed to hear today on a Monday. Um, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners as well. So thank you so much again for joining and sharing all of that. Um, people who are completely obsessed with Alana now, uh, which is probably everyone that's listening can connect with her on LinkedIn. Um, you can find her information on, uh, cxbubble.com. Thanks Alana. Yeah, no, thank you. This is a real pleasure.